So one of the things, I'll tell you something that's very sweet. In England, in the monastery, you know, the Asian people, when they would like to give offerings, they would come and they'd bring it into the middle of the temple and they'd make this big, huge mountain. And before they'd put it in the mountain, they'd go around and have to talk to everybody in the space and have them touch it so that they could all be part of the joy of giving. And the English people would come in the back door when nobody was watching and they'd open up the closet and stuff it in the larder and make sure they disappear before anyone could see them. <laughs> So I'm happy the pile is getting bigger by my seat. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. And I was so happy last week when I came and Beata offered some. It was just like, oh, yes, wonderful, wonderful. Very much appreciated. So um, what's, let's start with names, and then we can go into um, conversation. Yes, passing. I am Ama. <laughs> I am Sean. I'm Christy. Hi, I'm Doris. I'm Cliff. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm Anne. I'm Damien. Judy. Angela. David. Eric. Hi, Drew. <laughs> I'm Cedar, like Cedar Chest. Uh, I'm Christina. Uh, I'm Roger. Paula. Hugo. Kat. I may add to it, and I'm the reason this is being used because it helps me to hear. Thank you. So what comes up for you listening to what I said or spoke about earlier? Not self-shaming. Mm. Um, It's it's kind of it's a tricky subject. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's easy to get into. I have a very really weird sense of humor, and uh, you know it can be used in a lot of ways. I don't even realize it at the time. Like I use it like an electric sword, mm -hmm. you know, just to through everything like good, bad, ugly, whatever. You know, it's a it's a, become like a coping mechanism. You know, because. I don't know, it sure beats crying, you know, or getting upset or putting your fist through a wall or something like that, you know. So I try to laugh it off. But it can be really mean, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm just starting to catch it, mm -hmm. and that's where the self-shaming thing comes in. And then it becomes like a double-edged sword where, or whatever, you know, you, you catch it and then you do it again to try to make the other one not as bad. Fabulous, Hugo, that you see that. It's just fabulous that you see that. Because one of the things about guilt, one of the things that it loves, is to feel guilty. And the best way to feel guilty is to do exactly the thing that you feel guilty about again. Okay? So it's fabulous that you see that. 
And you can see that, you know, when you wake up to, you know, you're moving out of habitual patterns of something that you've done for a very long time and beginning to see uh, textures and edges that are no longer as um, uh, self-satisfying, yeah? And so in seeing the meanness, there's an interest to find another way, yeah? So one of the things that's really helpful to understand is, is that there's a radical difference between remorse and regret and guilt. Remorse and regret see the cause and effect of unskillful action and unskillful result. They don't make a bad person who is doing it. Guilt makes a bad person who's doing it. Regret and remorse are incredibly skillful because that is exactly the thing that will give you the support to keep with the inquiry and to stay on the edge and to not um, miss it when what you're doing is cutting across your values. Regret and remorse are extremely useful but they don't shame you. Guilt solidifies a solid, fundamentally wrong person who is the agent of the action. There is nothing whatsoever about guilt that is useful except for the fact that you have to develop vigilance for watching it arise and not believing it, and sifting out the regret and the remorse from the bad person who has done this dastardly deed. When you can shift guilt into regret and remorse, then you have a force that can help you stay awake to the kinds of habits and tendencies that tend to slide down the slippery slope and end up in the places you don't want to be. Is that clear? Yeah. Thank you. Mm. This is my ongoing piece, um, and it's about community. And... Um, with as much sort of uh, vulnerability as I can, I can't find my community. I can't find my sangha that feels what I want. And, um, and then I battle with, but if it's not what you want, then it's what it is, and you should just work with what it is. But yet, there are these things that I want it to be that I feel like I <coughs> would help me evolve more with my practice, and I can't seem to find those, and I can't seem to find somewhere between the black and the white of, like, I should just, I, I grow best when I'm alone, or I come here, or I come to a song and I don't get what I, what I want exactly, and, yeah. I don't know if I should be more detailed than that uh, for opening statement, but I, I wonder about 
Because I feel like the answer is, work with what is, you know? And I'm like, but that's not, that's not what I want. I want something more. So. So, ha- hallelujah for your clarity. You know, that's wonderful that you're clear about what it is that you want. And, you know, we live in a world where um, I've never been in a community where things, all of the things were right and all my needs were met. Never. So, uh, it's a little, bit, a little bit like looking for a turtle with a mustache. <laughs> and so then one needs to... Um, get a little bit realistic about, okay, so if I can't find a turtle with a mustache, what kind of turtle can I find? And what are my needs? And what is a cutting across the boundaries of what works and what doesn't work? Now, every person is actually a lot more powerful and influential than any of us really recognize. And one of the things that helps groups is to be really clear about what works for you. Not in a kind of bitchy, demanding way, but in a kind of, this is what I need, and this is what works for me, and this is actually what helps me feel safe and comfortable, and where I feel like I can relax and feel like I am supported. Because when an individual person is able to know that and name that, then it gives permission for other people to do the same, and together a group is able to coalesce and find shared values that do as best as the group is able to do in order to meeting those needs. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So that's actually a really powerful place to come into a group with. This is, this is what I'm looking for, and this is what I want, and this is what I need, and this is why. Yeah? And, you know, groups, groups are groups, and they've got all kinds of various different things about them in terms of the way that they coalesce or the things that keep them from coalescing and how come they can meet needs and why they're not meeting needs and and all of that is rich, complex dynamic that requires a lot of wisdom to have some discernment about whether it's moving in the right direction quick enough or whether it looks like, you know, this is not happening and you need to make different choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's really helpful is just to be clear and out front and just on the table in the right way, in the right circumstance, not in a way that, that, that puts shame or pressure, but in a way that makes an invitation and clarity about where you're at, what you need, and what you're looking for. And then all of us go through this journey of when is it more skillful for us to practice on our own, and when is it actually more useful to hang out with groups which are all less than ideal, you know? And what's the right balance in that? And it's going to change depending on where we're at individually, you know? So there have been times when it was like, you know, give me my own space and I can't, I don't have that capacity to to navigate the kind of complexity of what's going on in groups. I just can't do it, you know? Or for, you know, about four and a half years I've been allergic to monks. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so it's like, I'm I'm fine, thank you very much. Just leave me alone. (laughs) And gratefully I've been in a space where I've, I've been able to take care of my needs until that can shift. It does, it shifts, you know, but it takes its time. Yeah. So, 
And then the other thing is, is, is that if you don't have the skill yourself to figure out how to get your needs met, then just start figuring out how can you bring in people who can help, right? Because community dynamics are actually phenomenally complicated, and why they are a particular way and how to get them to actually move in another way is, a, is, a, is an art form. You know, and some people are really brilliant at it, and some people are really klutzy at it, and, you know, so to gather the ones that are really brilliant at it and to start kind of trying to figure out how can you move forward in a way that meets everybody's needs, you know, that's not just you against them, but, you know, that everybody's needs could better be met. But hats off to you for being so clear. Brilliant. David, in the back. I believe that in my heart and soul, there is a way to hold it, hold the possibility that we can meditate, that we can pray as one, no matter what the tradition or what language we choose. And in an effort for that, I share that there are different uh, definitions and connotations for the word guilt and remorse and those things. And one of the speakers, one of the teachers, uh, said that guilt is a it's like a steam. It brings awareness. It's not a rock to carry around on your back forever. And what I experience about guilt is that, like I think you were using the word um, remorse, it is a an opportunity to learn something an opportunity to change something. Um, and so, if we can pray as one, we can use language that is similar, even the same words, but use them in different contexts, use them in different even meanings. Um, so, to put it simply, I'm confused by your words today, and I'm gratefully so, because it helps me reevaluate or even feel what that, uh, that reaction in me, like you said early on. So I, I want to express gratitude for that. I have a question about. having us come together from different traditions, different cultures, different languages, and be able to offer prayer or offer meditation as if we were one, because we are one. And to get out of the 
it's got to be this way, or it's got to be that way, or it's got to be this word or that word. The critic, this is the question, the criticism of that from people from different traditions say, you say that that takes us to the lowest common denominator. We disempower every religion equally enough so that we all come up with that thing that we, which we have in common. That's the criticism. For me, the vision is that if we can remove language and culture and the rubrics, we can get to the mystery or the, the, um, the center of the divine and not dance around the edges as much. Dancing is nice. I like dancing. But <coughs> to rest in the divine. The question is simply put, is it possible to pray as one globally with all the traditions, with all of the different <coughs> ways of praying? So, I'm not a philosopher. I'm a contemplative. So, I don't have a philosophical answer to your question. But I have a contemplative one. And the way I can answer that is by describing what happens to me when I go into the Garden of the Gods. So, the Garden of the Gods is not Buddhist or Christian or Hindu or Jewish. It's the Garden of the Gods. It's a rock formation that's ten minutes away from my hermitage. And when I go there... I feel uh, it's like a porthole to me and I drop into a place of all-pervasive awareness and love. And there is no words to get there. It's the energy of the space that transports me there. And, you know, I'm there all the time and so I talk with different people and I haven't had extremely profound conversations with large numbers of people, but I had enough conversations with people to get a sense that pretty much everybody who goes to the Garden of the Gods gets some sense of that as being a sacred place. Now, I have seen that externally signs that the people who are coming are coming from very different belief systems. Okay? They have different languages and different frames of references and different cultures and different whatevers, but they can all feel the power of the sacredness of that place. And I would love to you know, to find ways of bringing different people there and relaxing into the energy of the rocks and see what happens in terms of communications or sense of commonality or the sense of, you know, what emerges from that. Because for me, in that space of all-pervasive awareness and unconditioned love, we're not at the lowest denominator. It's quite the contrary. But it's not coming from a frame of philosophical view, languaging, and religious idea. It's coming from an energetic field that, that, that is, that's subsuming all of that into itself. 
in the garden of the gods, I would have a lot of confidence that people would be able to relax into something that is bigger than the individuals and unifying. In other contexts, it would be highly dependent on the way that it was handled or carried out or who was leading it and what was happening. Because it comes through the, the ideas of the people who are in charge, which are colored by their own philosophical views and limitations. Now, great teachers have also that capacity that they can create a field into which all kinds of different people can relax into. So, you know, it's very much dependent on circumstance, even though my underlying experience when I have connection with that awareness and that love is, is that it pervades everything and everyone pervades time and space, that there's nothing that isn't included in that. And it doesn't wear a particular flag. It's not Buddhist. You know? So, my sense of a response to that is, is that it very much depends on the, on, the, on the way in which there was an interest to try and make that happen. But, you know, I, I could see with the right kind of facilitation that there could be an incredible gathering in the Garden of the Gods with people from vastly different religious convictions and belief systems <coughs> and just relax into the power of the presence there, even though everyone would understand what was happening and language it differently. That's fine. They could be welcome to do that. But together there could be a way of being connected and in, in, in reverence together. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, it's seven past nine. I have to get back to Colorado Springs. Eric has generously offered to drive me, which means that he's got a three hour journey ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> So it might be good to wind up.